You're listening to episode 90 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, a minimalist media project by Kaylee Reed. New episodes are released only on Self-Care Sundays, and today's episode is an interview with Ashley Dawn of Kind Skin. We're talking Botox, fillers, and injectables. I'll be completely transparent in saying that I have never really had the desire to quote unquote get work done. Even something as small as Botox, which I think a lot more people are familiar with and okay with over other injectables like fillers, it was just never something that fully appealed to me. And I think there's a few reasons why. One, I didn't feel like I really needed it that much, so I had no desire to go out and spend money on something like this. Two, I think there was a lack of information and education on my part, and I just didn't fully understand this world, so I kind of stayed away from it. And three, the negative stigma attached to injectables and them being seen as fake and unnatural and stereotypically very superficial, I think that also turned me off of this whole world. And so when Ashley from Kind Skin approached me, I was honestly a little bit hesitant about doing a collaboration because I really only partner with businesses or brands that I use their product, that I love the product or service, and that it naturally fits into my life or my content. So with this, I had never gotten any work done before and I didn't just want to do it for the sake of getting it done. I really wanted to understand the whole process and make sure that I was making an informed decision so that I could feel comfortable and confident talking about my experience and my overall thoughts on injectables afterwards. So I sat down with Ashley for an initial consult and basically just asked her a bunch of questions. I expressed my concerns to her and really for me, the biggest thing was how do I do this in a way that is safe, that is preventative, and that is super natural because I don't, I didn't want to end up looking any different than I do every day other than maybe tweaking a couple very, very minor things that the average person would not be able to notice, but that I do notice because I see myself every single day. And she was so helpful with all of her knowledge. She was very patient. She walked me through every question that I had and really provided a lot of information from the science side, as well as just the general like experience of what to expect. And so after going through all of that, I felt very safe and comfortable moving forward with getting a little bit of Botox, which I'll be sharing in a full YouTube video coming out this week. I'll link my YouTube channel in the show notes if you want to subscribe, but I'm going to walk through the entire process of before, during, and after showing the process of getting it done and then my results. And that to me is really important because I feel like there are so many Instagram influencers, models, celebrities who get Botox or fillers or get work done and they don't talk about it. And it creates this unrealistic beauty standard for their audience, for younger women who see these perfect faces, this perfect skin, and they feel inadequate or insecure that they don't look like that. When in reality, a lot of these influencers and models and celebrities 
also don't look like that naturally. A lot of them are getting work done, but they're not talking about it openly. And so I really wanted to share this behind the scenes process and really just open the conversation to what Botox and fillers and injectables are and how you can get these things done in a very natural way, in a safe way, in a preventative way, in a way that's not going over the top and that's going to cause you problems in the future as you age. So today we're talking with Ashley of Kind Skin, not only to answer all of these questions around Botox and fillers and really have a conversation around the stigma surrounding injectables, but also to dive into her own personal journey as an entrepreneur and her background as a nurse and how she got to where she is now opening her business. Ashley is an experienced registered nurse injector with extensive training in anatomy and physiology. She holds two undergrad degrees, a Bachelor of Kinesiology and a Bachelor of Science in Nursing, and she is the founder of Kind Skin. She's from a small town in BC, and her love for a challenge led her to work in cardiac surgery, cardiac rehab, rheumatology, emergency, and eventually venture all the way to Northern Nunavut, where for almost two years, she was serving in very small, isolated, rural communities. After living in Nunavut and working very intense hours, she burned out, and after eight years of shift work, she decided to really focus and work on her own self-care and self-love journey, which is kind of where the beginning of Kind Skin started. Ashley is a firm believer in preventative skincare and has a passion to educate and help women elevate their skincare routine throughout the aging process. So she does that now with injectables through her business, Kind Skin. And today's interview, we're diving into her full story, why she chose to shift into this space and answering my questions and hopefully some of your questions around Botox fillers and what we need to know before we get any work done. So you're a registered nurse and part of your journey that I think is very interesting is that before starting Kind Skin, you worked in none of it for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about like how you ended up in such a remote place? Like why were you working there? Yeah, I know. It's such a crazy thing to look back on. Um, I guess to give a little bit of a high level. So I actually, I was born in BC. So I did my first degree, um, UBC. And so I actually was in kinesiology, which has nothing to do with nursing. Mm -hmm. So it's a degree in anatomy and physiology with respects to movement of the body. And I actually did a practicum there actually in cardiac surgery, which I thought was really interesting. I was actually working with more registered nurses than I was with kinesiology students of practicums. And I really loved the work they were doing. And I thought it was so interesting. And I had always thought of doing something more after my degree, but I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. And I was kind of presented this opportunity and I took it and I ended up moving to Edmonton and did um, the after degree nursing program for RN at U of A. And yeah, it was a quick program. I did it in two years because I had a previous degree in science. And then from there, I jumped right into cardiac surgery and I was there for over like almost three years, I want to say. And it was actually a really cool experience, but you kind of like reach a point in your career where you think, I kind of want to dive into something different being that this was such a specialized field right out of nursing. And so I actually was exploring other opportunities and I got a job in cardiovascular ICU and at the exact same time, which is funny looking back because everything totally happens for a reason (laughs) with this, but I had this patient and she had a ton of complications post-surgery. So she was on the unit for a really long time. 
And I really got to know her family because her daughter wasn't too much older than me, but she was actually living up in Northern Nunavut. And we started just chatting about all the different, you know, elements that were so unique to Northern Canada and something that none of us really get to experience. It's such a, yeah, it's such an interesting area to live in. And she was just, she kept saying that, I referred to wanting to move into a different area to get a more of a challenge. And she said, well, if you want the ultimate challenge, in my opinion, you really should consider moving out there and doing a bit of work there. And rural has something that always interested me. Um, doing like rural emerge was something that was really interesting. And so I decided to just pivot and take the chance. And yeah, I moved up there and I worked up there for almost two years in a bunch of different rural remote communities. And they were all very, very north. So to context, people that don't know where it is, basically, it is quite north of Northwest Territories and it is way above the Arctic Circle. So you either have like, it's like the feather portion of Canada. You either have the 24 hour of sunlight or 24 hours of no light at all. Oh yeah. And it just kind of rotates, obviously, depending where the sun is and where the seasons, but how, okay. So maybe this is a dumb or like a no. basic question, but so how much of the year do you have 24 hours sun? How much of the year is all dark? So yeah, no, it's a good question because it is so confusing. <laughs> Basically like during the summer months, it would be like the prime summer that we have here would be like full sun. 24 hours and then as it's transitioning into the winter so going into the fall it's transitioning that there's less and less sun so it just kind of yeah it just rotates and yeah it was a really interesting additional element on top of the work that we were tasked Mm. with so yeah to give a little bit of a I guess perspective of what the job up there looked like um there was anywhere from two to four nurses only registered nurses um, in a community and each community was from like 500 people to let's say 1200 and usually well the actual locations I was in there was no doctors in those sites so we'd have to call call out and those doctors would be um, in one of the other provinces in Canada and so a lot of the work was really independent we actually had our scope as more of a register sorry of um, a nurse practitioner than we did as a registered nurse and so we had full prescribing rights and we ran, um, there's no 911 up there. So we literally were the first like first responders. We were the day clinic. We were emergency. We were on call. Um, we were responsible for like the well baby programs, the pregnant women, the chronic disease programs. We did all the vaccinations. Um, we were responsible for um, drawing our own blood. Like there was no mm. phlebotomist to like remove the blood for lab testing. We had to process our own labs and send them to Calgary. Um, and then we had to do our own x-rays. So oh we gosh. really just did everything. And it was such an interesting scope of practice because mm-hmm. <laughs> you were exposed to everything. And I, I came from such a, like a tiny, small um, subset in nursing, just cardiac surgery. And then I dived into like all practitioner style. One question before we deviate from Mm -hmm. this is around mental health and the sun, because I'm one of those people that in the summer, I'm just automatically happier because it's sunnier and good weather. And I honestly cannot imagine what my mental health would be like when it's dark Mm. 24 seven. Yeah. Did that affect you? Absolutely. It was really hard, Kaylee. I actually brought up my first rotation, one of those seasonal affected, like the sad lambs and brought one up with me because I knew that it would be something I would already struggle with. Mm. Um, Yeah. And it's actually, 
it's a really crazy environment to be in because when you were on call and you were working those 24-hour, 48-hour shifts and you tried to get any little bit of sleep that you could when you weren't working and when it's so bright out, mm. it was really, really, really challenging to even you know turn that off. Mental health was, was a big thing and not just from the lack of sunshine. There were so many other facets that contributed to like really poor mental health and outcomes for like myself and most people working up there and why the burnout is is so insane mm-hmm. and so yeah. you experienced burnout yeah. and that's why you left mm-hmm. correct yeah and so after leaving you started kind skin when mm-hmm. you moved back to alberta yeah so let's talk a bit about that journey mm-hmm. was there like a defining moment that led you to wanting to start this specifically and why the focus on injectables so there was there were many seasons of burnout for me burnout for me to be honest up there um i would say so and you can probably appreciate this like during the amount of, that I was working up there, easily 100 hours minimum a week. Like it was really hands on deck. Like you were never really turned off. Like you had, there were so many emergencies and so many things that you had to deal with and they had to have all hands on deck. And it was just kind of the way that it was up there. So I didn't live up there for two years permanently. I would do three to six month rotations and then pop back down mm-hmm. into the city for like a week to two weeks, just really depending like what was going on during that season for me. I knew that self-care was something that was really important to me, but I actually really, really struggle with it as a female and as kind of a bit of a workaholic. (laughs) I set so many probably unrealistic goals, but things that I'm really excited about and I just go full tilt. And so being in that environment up there, it was... It was, it really helped me, but it also like really, really knocked me down because I took advantage of how many hours you could work and how much I could learn. And I was constantly going and going and going. And a huge result of that actually was the fact that I had such dry, like such high stress levels all the time. Um, My hormones were totally out of whack. I was consuming so much caffeine and then the diet up there, honestly. Mm -hmm. So the food and the lack of resources is so real. I would bring up one, one suitcase of clothes and like work stuff and one suitcase of just like food and anything that I'd want to eat, including like a blender and proteins and things that I would want to have up there. Um, because they only had one grocery store and it was like a grocery store, a Home Depot, like a one-stop shop for mm. everything. And they had very, very limited food. And the food that they did have was typically um, items that would be perishable uh, or that wasn't perishable, sorry, that would be shelf life. Mm-hmm. And that would ultimately be things because they're flying food in and out, right? And so the food was so expensive, like five to 10 times the amount per item. And so at the end of the day, like I brought in foods, but I'd always run out. Like you always Mm -hmm. think you have enough. (laughs) And then for three months of rationing, you just, you always run out. And so I would just eat really crappy food and the same thing over and over again. But for me, the lack of ability to like decompress and have moments where I could rest and recharge um, was why I like let to burn out so many times because I was constantly in this like cortisol releasing flight or flight state and I just didn't have the time really for like the coping aspect of it. Um, so you came back and Was it the inspiration of wanting to do something really self-care focused that got you into starting Kind Skin Mm -hmm. or what was kind of that journey for you? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it was definitely, there was a huge pull for that. Um, when I was up there, I really tried to make myself look as plain as possible. I don't know why I did that, but I felt like if I could just remove, it's like the opposite of what I preach now. Like I felt like mm-hmm. if I didn't care how I looked, I could just focus so much more on the work I was doing, but it actually did the opposite. It made me feel less confident. And I felt like I was constantly trying to just like blend in, even mm-hmm. though it was, it was quite challenging to do that up there. Um, and honestly, I fit, I feel like for women, especially like we, we go through these phases where we feel like we need to like lessen ourselves or be like less of who we are, um, and not feel comfortable in all the different facets that we are as women. Like we're so dynamic and we all wear so many hats. Mm-hmm. And I feel that, um, the self-care journey and really just looking at taking care of ourselves as a whole. I mean, I'm expressing it in a way through skincare, um, but there's a lot of other facets to my brand that I like to incorporate with lifestyle that I think is really important too. And so that's kind of where that kind of that journey kind of transgressed from. And like I said, it's just, it was about finding a more versatile career, something that really fit that I truly believed in I could get behind. Okay, so you went from working a government job to now being an entrepreneur. Talk about that journey for your mental health because entrepreneurship is very challenging, Mm -hmm. Um, but you went from burnout in one capacity to another, you know, in industry, I guess, like entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. in general, where burnout, burnout is super common. So how have you balanced those things? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I feel like And this is something um, that I feel like we don't talk about enough. I think that culturally we are sold this narrative that in order to be successful, you need to go through these seasons of burnout. And in order to be successful and get exactly what you want, this is, you know, the recipe to get there. I think it's very possible in both of those situations. Obviously, when I was up north, I had a lot more limited resources, but I think it's very reasonable to be able to hustle and be working hard, but also giving yourself that time to just rest and recharge because I personally, and I know a lot of people like yourself, you get a lot of inspiration through those downtimes and Mm. you can really have that time to be more creative and inspired. And I think that actually does so much more for now being in business and being able to have, you know, opportunities for growth and to reflect because when you're so in it, you're so narrow-minded and it's easier when you have that time, even if it's just a half a day to get more done and be more productive because I know I used to wear this badge of being busy as like this badge of honor. Yes. And I sometimes would say that, oh, I'm, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? And you know, what's, what's been new and exciting? Oh, I'm just really busy. And I would like take pride in that. Yes. But being busy doesn't always mean that you're being productive and Mm -hmm. it doesn't always mean that you're actually checking in with yourself and taking care of your mental health. And I think all of those things just around that whole conversation is is so important to have because I think, like I said earlier, women, we just wear so many hats and we're trying to do so much all the time. And I think not having those conversations and not someone telling you it's okay to take a step back and to relax for a minute. Yes, um, take care of yourself. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I 100% feel mm-hmm what you just said around using, I'm busy as a badge of honor. And, 
you know, leading conversations with that. And I think so many women, whether that's you're still in university or you're building a side hustle or you're in your job building your career, like we strive to be busy. And sometimes when we're not busy, it's like, why am I not doing enough? Like I could be doing so much more, Mm -hmm. but this importance of self-care, especially like you said, in order to recharge and gain that creativity again, to go forth and do all of the things that you want to do. Exactly. And yeah. so you were able to create kind skin mm-hmm. from those moments, I'm guessing, of self-care and and recharging and really figuring out what you wanted to do moving forward. I want to talk a little bit about the stigma surrounding injectables. And I love how earlier you talked about it as skincare and part of your skincare mm-hmm. routine. But I think that there is a lot of misconceptions. I mean, I held these perceptions as well um, of it being a very superficial industry, very unnatural, um, and just not really maybe fully understanding how it can be considered as self-care because I think it's Mm -hmm. those two things are not commonly grouped together when we talk about them. For sure. So I'd love to hear your thoughts around just like those misconceptions, the stigmas and um, injectables as self-care. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such a good point, Kaylee, because I felt the exact same way to be completely transparent before I got into the space. And I think that now that I'm in it and I've really learned and gone through this whole process of navigating this industry and from my point of view, the biggest things that I've noticed and and reasons of why stigma kind of exists within this space so much is because I think for starters, we're all guilty of it, but we use this word quote injectables as like the catch-all term. Mm -hmm. And I think that that in itself is a bit problematic because when we just Google the word injectables, there's a lot of services Mm -hmm. that come up, you know, and it's a huge spectrum of services in itself. There's actually a lot of treatments in that category of quote injectables. And I think that, um, in general, when we're Googling that word, we're looking up and we're seeing kind of the combination of maybe Botox, fillers, plastic surgery. We're seeing a lot of things being done, but yet it's being captioned as just a little bit of Botox. And right. I think that in general, as a culture and as a society, we've kind of lost Um, touch with what even a little bit of Botox looks like. Mm -hmm. There's not many real results out there unless you're really finding, you know, proper resources or individuals, practitioners that you follow and you're actually looking at those portfolios. I think when we're just doing a blind Google search and we're just looking at all the videos that are pre-populating. It's the most dramatic thing that come up. It's so dramatic, right? And and I think that's really terrifying. Even for myself, someone who's in the space and has been in the space for a while and is very trained, I, I feel awkward and intimidated when I see these things because it's really giving a bad representation of what what it can be. Mm -hmm. And I think overall, it's just about having the conversations and about more education. And I think people, once we, like you said earlier, is once we start having these conversations, people get a little bit more comfortable talking about them because I think it has been such a stigma for such a long period of time. And starting to break down some of these walls, we can start to actually see, you know, what each of these treatments do and what they can do. And every treatment has its limitations. Um, I think 
probably the biggest number one stigma that, that we hear all the time is, is that it's going to look unnatural. Mm -hmm. And I think this was, you know, your concern. This was my (laughs) own concern coming into this space. Um, this was my own concern before I even, I wanted treatment before I got into this space. Mm -hmm. And that was my question. And I felt that it was really hard to get a straight up answer. And that's kind of where I also wanted to take my approach and really just start that conversation. But as you know, I just give so much education. I'd love to just like dive deep into all the things because I really want someone to fully understand everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that there's three main things that when it comes to an individual curious about this topic, but really being worried about that stigma of it looking unnatural. And the three biggest things that I would say for any individual is um, first to really look at the practitioner's skill level and ultimately, you know, their knowledge in anatomy, um, the types of treatments that they do and kind of having that uh, that baseline understanding. And the second one, which I think is so important as well, is the practitioner's expectation and the patient's expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, that conversation really is actually developed through building a relationship and a rapport, asking the right questions, but a lot of education too, because I think sometimes as patients coming in, you don't really know what, like you have an idea of what you want it to look like and how you envision, but you don't know which treatment maybe matches that. And if there's not a lot of conversation about that, maybe sometimes you end up getting a treatment or a look that you weren't fully expecting. And I think that can cause a lot of Well, I'm sure there's so many people that just see uh, the before and after results on Instagram pages or from a Google search and they go in thinking, this is what I want without maybe actually knowing that that Mm -hmm. is or isn't what's going to do what they want. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And that's the thing. Every individual is so unique, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why the consultations are so incredibly important because you know, at the end of the day, we, sometimes you have an idea of what you want, but you're not going to be able to achieve that exact look because you just have a total different facial structure. Yes, yeah, And exactly. that's another piece too, right? So I'd say like that last third point would be, you know, when you're looking for getting potentially a treatment done with a practitioner is ultimately like, what's their style in their portfolio? And mm-hmm. I think for me from the very beginning and why I wanted to rebrand and name Kind Skin is that my approach is just really realistic and honest. Like I want it to be conservative all the time. I don't want to be creating unnatural and unrealistic results. Um, everyone has a different portfolio and a different style. And at the end of the day, that's just what I've niched down and that's my style. I want people to come in and to feel more excited leaving with their treatment and more confident than coming in. And that's the whole point of this is to really make each individual feel like the best version of them. Yeah. And so, I mean, when we first started this conversation, you approached me or I don't fully remember how this partnership came about, but I was kind of in a position where I was iffy about quote unquote getting work done Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there is that stigma. And I was never really at a stage where I was like, oh my God, I need to get Botox or oh my God, I need fillers. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to come in. I really want to talk to you about it and really learn more about just this whole world because Mm -hmm. I did have those stigmas and I know you previously. So I was like, okay, maybe like we can do something together. Um, And I think for me, the biggest thing was looking like you didn't get anything done essentially. Right. So leaving and you look the same to everybody else, but just better. Yeah. (laughs) The best version of yourself. Yeah. The littlest things. Um, And so some of the things that I found really interesting too, when you and I were talking during our first consultation 
was about kind of the preventative treatment mm-hmm. and yeah. diving deep into that because I was like, oh, okay, I'm 27, so I am, you know, getting a little bit of wrinkles, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I wasn't at the stage where I was like, I need to get this done. Yeah. So when you were educating me about that, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And I would love if you could share sure. some of that knowledge too, because I think there's Uh, a lot of younger people now that are Mm -hmm. becoming more interested in this space. And so I think this is why I'm interested in like sharing that preventative side. Mm -hmm. Like, is there an age that's too young to start getting things done? We see people like Kylie Jenner, who has had like a ton of injectables Mm -hmm. at a young age. Um, And what are kind of the benefits from a preventative side? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, well, that's, that's a big that's question. That's a big question. Okay, no, two it's okay. part question though. Okay. <laughs> Maybe the, the first being um, what age or like okay. is there an age that's too young? Okay. Um, the second part being more on the preventative side. For if sure. you could just talk a bit more about that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at the end of the day with age um, on label is they're not allowed, you're not allowed to treat anyone under 19. Um, but I typically will my age is quite a bit higher than that. Mm. Um, it is very customized based on the individual. And the reason why I don't like to give a hard age is because some people um, in their 23, 24s could look the same as far as an aging perspective as someone in their 30s. And it could right. be a 10-year swing. And that sounds a little dramatic, but it is true because genetics and lifestyle play a really large role in, in how well that individual is maybe you know doing their skincare regime to start with. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of conversation around you know what's the right age and, and there really isn't a right age but when it comes to preventative treatment with Botox specifically um, you know and this is Botox or Dysport because Botox is just one brand it really is a neuromodulator but it's so well known so just for conversational we'll just you'll say Botox but essentially for preventative treatment so really the first signs of aging on any individual are typically those fine lines and the wrinkles and they're usually showing in the upper face um, so kind of a really good example I like to use is you probably had someone maybe your grandparents or your parents tell you a little joke when you're younger like you know don't make your face like that because it's going to get stuck that way right Mm -hmm. like you've probably (laughs) heard that I know my grandma used to always say that and the funny thing about that is this is actually true so as we age there's a lot of things happening at the cellular level Um, underneath the skin and happening that we're seeing on the skin as we age but ultimately it's happening all from the muscle so while we're making these expressionate um, movements so whether we're excited or we're smiling or we're frowning all of these you know facial expressions that are showing those fine lines and wrinkles they go away after you stop making that face but then there comes a point in your time like in your age um, typically it's in your, and this is the funny part about the age, it could be your mid twenties. It could start in your mid thirties. So that age piece is different for everybody, but ultimately there is a time where every individual, those fine lines and wrinkles stop, um, going away after that neutral expression. So they actually remain on the skin and they start to get deeper and deeper as we age. And again, how fast and how deep they get, um, again, is very differentiated from person to person, but that's kind of what we're talking about with preventative. So when you see those fine lines and wrinkles kind of start just to stay on the skin for most people it's mid-20s if not later 20s that is kind of the best time to be going and doing a bit of a treatment 
And that's where really where I would start with the Botox. So that anti-wrinkle treatment, mm-hmm. because it's going in there, it's actually controlling that aging process. Um, because aging is inevitable. We're all, we're all going <laughs> through the same journey together. It's just, you could have a bit of control in how that looks. And the really cool thing with this treatment is I always like to share, it's something that you can always try once. And if it's something, you know, you don't love, or it's something that you don't feel that you need right now, then you can wait and 10 years later or not at all, you know, injectables isn't for every person. And I don't preach that every single person gets this treatment. I think that if it's part of your goal for your skincare and it's something you care about, then I encourage people to give it a try and to get the education on it. Um, it's, you know, ultimately whatever makes you feel the best Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of people that just love getting their eyebrows done and they'll maybe dye their hair. And those are the two things that make them feel like their best self. And I feel like when we look good, then we feel our best and we just show up in the best way. And we're very confident. We're radiant. We're giving the world the best version of us. And, you know, that is self-care in itself. It doesn't need to be something that we're spending money on. It could be taking it like a nap or a bath or whatever, but it's, it's those things that make us feel like we are being the best version of ourselves. And ultimately these treatments are supposed to be for us. So, you know, when we're really getting caught up in that comparison game, I think it's pretty hard now with social, but I think, like you said, there's so much out there and it's confusing and it's, what does it all look like? Like, what am I supposed to be getting and what's a good age and what's too much and what's too little? And are we allowed to talk about it? There's just so much happening, right? A narrative that I've seen from a lot of people on TikTok, Mm -hmm. actually, like younger audience on TikTok is actually being really okay with the idea of getting injectables Mm -hmm. or any sort of work done as long as people are transparent about it. And I think that's like the bigger issue that we see is people are afraid to talk about it because they don't want Mm -hmm. other people to, you know, think that they're insecure or that they're fake or, you know, why did they get that done? Um, Which is why I really wanted to have you on the podcast is to just be like super transparent Mm -hmm. about the process and about, um, you know, injectables as skincare, which yeah. is something I want to come back to and yeah. really talk about what that means. Like, how can we be viewing injectables as skincare? Or what do you mean when you say that, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that with skincare, I mean, obviously, what we do for our skin changes as we age. And that's based on the different properties that are happening. Um, but as far as adding injectable treatments into our skincare routine, I really see it as really elevating and taking that next step because most individuals are already using good skincare. Maybe they'll go for a facial. Um, They'll do these treatments already and they feel like they're getting a good result. But now we're looking more at texture where, like I said, when those lines start to stay on, you know, on our skin, especially with oilier skin types, and we start to put makeup on, we start to see them settling in the creases. And for some people, it actually really bothers them. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, depending on how deep they are, some people, it doesn't bother them. And this is kind of where I like to talk about, it's not a treatment isn't for everybody, but it shouldn't be, you know, labeled in this box as being such a superficial, unrealistic 
um, approach to skincare because I think that it can be really conservative and I think it can be really natural. I mean, I think this conversation in general is interesting because we do have this perception of injectables as being so unnatural and yet everybody wears makeup. Yeah. Like that's un- totally. unnatural, right? Like that's yeah. not something you wake up with. Totally. But we put on, on makeup every day. We all have, well, most of us at this point have skincare routines. Some people have 12 step skincare routines. Mm-hmm. Some people are getting microneedling done, microblading, like all of these things. And yet injectables is still seen as something that is different than all of those things. Yeah. So I think that's interesting that like all of these things technically are quote unquote unnatural, but there's a way to do them that's right for everybody. And that's going to just help you feel like your best self essentially. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good way to say it. We've been talking about quote unquote injectables, but really we've been talking mostly about Botox to this point. So what else is there under that catch-all phrase? Fillers, right? Yeah, dermal fillers for sure. And so what's the best way to understand dermal fillers? So I kind of came up with a little thing in my practice called like the ABCs of dermal fillers. So when we're thinking of is filler the right category that I would you know, need? Obviously, you're going to be having an appropriate consultation with your practitioner anyways. But when you're on your own researching or looking mm-hmm. into things, um, you know, the ABCs of dermal fillers really is looking at asymmetries. Um, so every individual is asymmetrical. And sometimes we don't realize it. And sometimes it really doesn't matter to us. And I think a lot of asymmetries are really beautiful and make each individual individual very unique but I think there are some times that certain asymmetries actually really bother someone or they really stand out so when they're taking that yes I was just gonna say exactly (laughs) that's such a thing and how beautiful would it be if we could just make that slight tweak Mm -hmm. and then you never have to worry about that again and it's not part of your your typical day, right? So asymmetries is kind of that first one. Balance is really important. So when we're talking about fillers, it's really restoring volume. So as we age, we're actually physically losing fat pads that are getting smaller and receded in our face. And it's actually creating a lot of changes in our skin. So as you see someone that's quite a bit older, and as we're going through that aging process, you start to lose that mid-face volume and you start to see it kind of actually sag down, right? Mm -hmm. And you get those jowls. So that's actually just fat that's being lost in the face. And fillers can actually go in there and just replenish what's being lost. So it can really restore that and help to create more, again, symmetry. And then the, the C is contouring. So a lot of individuals and what you've talked about earlier, earlier is the younger generations are seeing fillers as more of a contouring product, right? So it's something that they're able to get a really sharp jawline. They're able to get more um, volume in their lips. They're able to get like a more defined chin. So all of these areas are kind of where they can start to get encroached along the superficial kind of path. Mm -hmm. But in its essence, like dermal fillers, they have a purpose. They have a purpose to be naturally added into someone's skincare routine. Um, And for a lot of individuals, you can use them and you would never know that you've had something done because Mm -hmm. it looks, your face would look more balanced with the treatment. You mentioned fillers being more popular now with Mm -hmm. younger generation. Um, Is there a negative to getting that too young? Like, does it, will it do anything bad if you're, you know, 22 and getting fillers? Yeah, good question. I mean, essentially for individuals who are getting a lot of treatment done, people that are really getting a ton of product put in, um, there is something that you can actually stretch the tissue too much. 
Um, however, unless you're getting multiple syringes put in one area and constantly keeping that really plump, um, it's not typical that it's unable to kind of bounce back to its original shape being mm. if you're a lot younger, right? Because we have these properties in our skin, collagen, elastin that are really able to kind of bounce back. The older that we get and the more that we're adding, you absolutely can run the risk of when that product gets metabolized out, that skin is being stretched. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that needs to be talked about and needs to be a part of the conversation in the treatment plan with any individual that's, you know, kind of encroaching upon that area where maybe they're at that limit and they shouldn't be getting any more. But that is ultimately, in my opinion, the practitioner's responsibility, the one right. who's doing the practice to, and to have the honest conversation. What do you think is most important for people to understand about the work that you do? I just love like establishing really amazing connections with each individual that comes into the room because I ultimately just feel like um, for me to understand exactly where they're coming from and like better achieve their goals, it's really about like getting to know them and actually developing a real relationship. And I really want that to be like the start of the conversation and where they leave feeling so confident because that is just such an incredible part of what I do and helping women kind of achieve a little bit more of that. Um, having said that, I don't believe that physical appearance is the answer to happiness. Mm. Quite the opposite, actually. I believe that like when we are looking our best, we stop comparing as much and we can really focus on the inner work and focus on, you know, the bigger goals and the bigger things that we want to be, you know, leaving this mark on the world. Um, I've seen this cascading effect for so many individuals, including myself, that, yeah, when you're able to just like tweak and make those subtle little changes that make you feel like the best version of you. Um, it just, it radiates into everything you do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for some people, it honestly may not even be these types of treatments. It might just be like we said earlier, like getting your hair dyed, getting that blowout, that hair refresh, doing your eyebrows, getting your nails done. These are all things that ultimately we do to make us feel like the best version of us. And, you know, if Botox is not your priority or if getting an asymmetry corrected is not your priority, then that's perfect too. It doesn't need to be that, but there is such a large amount of people that walk around and feel like you said, they have that one side that they love yeah. way more and they're always, but it, it affects our lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we're able to do these small little things, to make a difference and we can stop focusing on them and we can start focusing on other things that are more important, right? So my final question is around tips for newbies who are maybe interested in getting Botox or fillers, um, but they are unsure of where to start or they don't really know what to expect. Mm -hmm. What would you tell those people? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think Goodness, I think everyone feels that, right? Unless they've mm-hmm. actually sat down and had a consultation, there are so many questions. Mm-hmm. And I get asked all the time. It is all the time people that are sliding into my DMs and asking questions specific about themselves. And it's really challenging for me to give that professional opinion because I've never met them. I don't know what they look like. And everyone ultimately should be receiving a customized approach um, because everyone is so different, right? And respecting that and going through the proper education, um, I would prefer to have it in person 
if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. And I think that ultimately it's okay to ask questions. I encourage all the questions. I love when people ask questions <laughs> because it shows me that they are really invested and that they care too. Right. And I love providing the education. So I think the best way is coming in for a consultation. If it's something that they are curious about, um, the consultations are always free. I don't charge for a reason. I don't do a deposit. I want them to be education forward because I feel that it empowers us more when we have the own our own education provided that we can then use that and make a decision. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Self-Care Sunday. If you loved this episode, please screenshot and share on Instagram stories tagging at Self-Care Sunday. I'll also leave Ashley's Instagram handles and website in the show notes below if you are interested in either learning more about her or booking a consultation with her. She is based in Calgary. Also a reminder that if you're a big fan of the show, you can contribute to my coffee fund at Patreon forward slash self-care Sunday, also linked in the show notes. And if you're looking for any sustainable merch, face masks, makeup or skincare bags, we also have those available on the store at selfcaresunday.co. Happy self-care Sunday, everyone. 